Hello, my name's Joanna Bailey. And I'm Tom Boone. Welcome to the 25th episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week. Coming up in today's show, I will look at Ryanair's huge first quarter loss, and Joe will fill us in on how this compares to the losses felt by the big US free airlines. Tom will explain what it was like to fly to Spain during the pandemic and why people from the UK won't be so keen to visit now. Then I'll take a look at the very special way Qantas retired its Boeing 747. To wrap up, I'll take a look at British Airways' new neighbours at Heathrow Terminal 5. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. Tom, it's that time of year again, and uh, we're getting all the quarterly results from the airlines. And uh, as expected, they haven't been great, have they? They've not been great, but I mean, it's not the year for them to be great. You know, it's like they're not great, but it's not bad that they're not great. It is bad that they're not great, but it's not a bad sign about the airline in general, if (laughs) that makes sense. Um, Yes. (laughs) I know what I'm talking about. That's all that matters. Um, So, yeah, Ryanair actually um, yesterday released their first quarter results. And um, while most companies around the world are releasing second quarter results, um, it's first quarter for Ryanair because their financial year runs from April to March. and As I the, thought most people's did, but it appears I an think awful it's lot just runs a, from January, sort of, so yeah, it must I be a regional thing. A UK thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting because um, do you want to take a guess at how many passengers Ryanair actually carried in the period? Oh, I wouldn't like to say. How many do they normally carry? Several so hundred um, thousand, The same period think. last year, they carried 41.9 million. Wow. I reckon about 10% of that. 500,000, so half a million. Wow. <laughs> um, and obviously, with less passengers flying, there's less money coming into the airport, um, into the airline. Um, and it was sort of an interesting one because obviously Ryanair was operating uh, fewer passen- uh, fewer flights. So its, um, its load factor only fell um, to 61%, which is quite impressive considering. That's not bad. Um, yeah all that it went through but um just there wasn't um the number of passengers flying to keep up um where it needed to be so last year we saw them with an after tax profit of 243 million euros for the period so that's 284 million US dollars um mm-hmm. and this year it was a loss of 185 million euros so um 216 million US dollars that doesn't so, sound too bad, you know, considering what it's yeah. been up against and the fact it hasn't flown an awful lot. That's yeah. uh, that's not the worst it could be. No, it could be a lot worse. And I mean, they still posted um, a sort of fairly okay revenue for the period. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously not as grand as when they're flying 41 million passengers, but um, it's... It could be worse, um, but I think what was actually more interesting than all of these uh, boring financial numbers is that we got an update on the 737 MAX from Ryanair yesterday, which is always fun um, because <laughs> it just I, I do wonder when it's um, going to be back in the air. Um, according to Ryanair, they are currently working on the assumption that 
um, the US carriers will start flying this thing again from October. Right. Um, okay. Which is, um, I think, I think uh, recently... that's, that's quite uh, ambitious. <laughs> yeah, I think um, the other day, Americans, um, someone in America was saying that they'll get it in October, but they won't really be flying it until December. Yeah, I mean, that was in line with what Southwest said yeah. in their earnings call, that they'd removed it from schedules till December. And what they were saying, like you said, is even if they get it in sort of October, it's going to be at least two months work before they yeah. can start scheduling it because they need to do all sorts of maintenance and pilot training. And, mm. you know, um, well, there's a, an awful lot involved in bringing them back into service. And I think, uh, yeah, I think, you know, end of the year, early next year is a much more realistic target. Yeah. And I mean, the problem that Ryan has as well is um, there's two issues because firstly they can't just um, they, they're quite keen to get all of these aircraft um, which is a bit of a break from the sort of going mood on the aircraft I feel but well, um, yeah <laughs> people are trying to get rid of them <laughs> yeah they're currently hoping that they'll get the first one um, at the end of the year um, and up to 40 before summer next year uh, and these 40 must have already been sort of mainly built because if you think about it, the uh, Ryanair is taking the MAX 200, which in itself needs to be certified um, separately, because it's, separately uh, yeah. because it's got an additional emergency exit. And that also means that Ryanair can't just say, oh, these airlines have cancelled their already built MAX orders. Can we just have those? Because they don't have the additional exit built in. Yeah, sure. It's a very specific aircraft, isn't it? It is, it is. It's um, It truly is one of a kind for the airline. And it does go to show, however, that um, airlines still do have some say on aircraft design, I guess. Which is good. Yeah, yeah. they always used to, and they absolutely should right now as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one. I'm still thinking that um, I probably won't fly on it straight away, but if Ryanair's committed I, I feel like Ryanair wouldn't fly this thing unless they were a hundred percent sure of its safety you know yeah I so. think it will get to a point where you can't really avoid flying on it if it yeah. comes back into service you know it is the the narrow body of the future mm. if you like it's the only one we're going to have in the fleets for the next 10 years so yeah I mean you're it takes to a long time to, to design a new aircraft so. yeah <laughs> <laughs> absolutely no I, I think I'd be a bit concerned straight away but yeah. I guess once the FAA's done all their scrutiny and you know probably EASA want to have a look at it as well and you know once it's certified to fly it's probably going to be a very good aircraft it's mm. just a yeah little bit concerning that uh, that it has yeah. that ability I mean, to do that sort of thing it is going to be the most scrutinized aircraft flying though so for sure for sure um, there's also the argument that that like if if they recertify this and it's not safe you know that's just going to completely ruin the FAA's reputation, among others. So it's just, I feel it's, it's not a risk worth taking unless it's 100% safe. But I think you're right there, Tom. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> That's <laughs> my <usual>. favourite saying. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, Ryanair's loss did sound quite large, mm. but I have to warn you, it pales into insignificance when you start looking at what's been going on across the pond. Um, so, of course, all the big three US airlines posted big uh, second quarter losses. Yeah. Um, United lost $1.6 billion, which sounds like an awful lot, but actually that was the best out of the three. Oh, wow. So, American Airlines, um, despite having the biggest fleet of the three, they lost $2.1 billion. 
um, Delta really had the very worst quarter and lost a massive $5.7 billion. I, I'm really not too sure what went wrong with Delta. Um, you know, it was it was a much bigger loss than they suffered in the in the first quarter. Mm. So taking a sort of first half of the year view as of from January till about now, um, United has racked up 3.3 billion, American 4.3 billion, and Delta 6.2 billion of losses. Um, so it was interesting to see that United and American both lost about the same in quarter two as quarter one, yeah. but Delta only lost about 500 million in quarter one. And then this massive 5.7 billion in quarter two. So, uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't like to speculate on what happened, but it could yeah. be to do with uh, this middle seat block that they are maintaining and the other two are not. Um, I mean, we'll get onto it in a bit more, but um, I don't see the point of the middle seat block if um, <laughs> personally, if you're wearing masks, but I will save that for my next segment. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's interesting. And uh, I had a few interesting tidbits from Southwest that I'll feed in when we when we come back to that in a minute. But yeah. getting back to these losses, so the, the passenger revenue was roughly similar with Delta and United at about 678, 680 million. Um, but America managed 1.1 billion in revenue. So just okay. previously, that they are they are flying and they are getting in the passengers and you know there is still money coming in yeah however united one hands down on the cargo front which as you, as you know has been an increasingly important source of revenue during COVID. Yeah. Um, so they managed to rake in 402 million from cargo operations compared to 130 for American and 108 for Delta. Mm. Um, and it was interesting because all three agreed that April was like the low point. That was the, the worst month in terms of um, yeah. available seat miles and I mean, passenger that was load across factor. the board, you know, like. Across the board, yeah. Everybody's figures. saying. Yeah, that was the worst. Yeah. And around the world, we're seeing traffic starting to pick up. Mm. And I would have thought that these three had hoped that they were getting somewhere back to near normal about now. Um, and we kind of saw that happening. Passenger growth through May and June was fairly steady. You know, it was kind of an upward trajectory day on mm. day. Um, but since July and towards the end of June, this has all really begun to stall again. Um, so around the 4th of July weekend, obviously, there was increased traffic that particular weekend. But even kind of in the shoulders of that weekend, it was around 700,000 passengers a day registered by the TSA as going through the checkpoints. Um, but by the weekend of the 17th of July, we were down to around 500,000 a day. And it's been kind of there ever since um mm. so it's kind of going up again but the recovery is very very choppy in the u.s and it's because they're getting these peaks and troughs of coronavirus cases in different states and yeah. obviously the different states are implementing different requirements about quarantine and mask wearing and it's just really shaking up the passenger traffic so um we did see that we were back up to an average of around seven hundred thousand this last weekend but it's likely to carry on being a little bit up and down, um, I think, as we go forward until mm. until the US gets this under control, you know, until there's some sort of uh, confidence restored in, in passengers wanting to move around. Um, but the good news is that all three of them have really tightened up their mask policies and uh, 
Anyone that regularly listens to the podcast will know that we're huge advocates of mask wearing on planes. We think it's probably the best thing you can do. Um, and like Tom says, probably a, a lot better than not sitting next to a stranger. Mm. Um, and Delta has actually kicked off 100 people or more than 100 now for not wearing a mask. Um, and non-compliance could get people added to a no-fly list now. Um, airlines are maintaining medical exemption, or United and Delta are anyway, but they're yeah. double-checking on this to ensure people aren't cheating. And well, American I've... Airlines has actually gone a step further, and they've said there are no exceptions. So hmm. whether you've got a medical condition or you don't like wearing them or you feel claustrophobic, tough, no mask, no fly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really the best thing they can do at this point you know if, if you're not comfortable wearing a mask then you shouldn't be flying on a plane right now just give yeah. it some time you know so well uh, i mean um southwest has joined american with that i believe um that's great yeah so. it's a very tough stance but i think it's necessary well, and, i mean uh, it's it's all it's been the case for longer in europe with like ryanair and lufthansa and um i've not i've traveled more than probably most people since covid came about and i've <laughs> yeah, not seen have. yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> I've, I've not seen i've seen one person be asked to put their mask back on and they did that straight away but i've not seen anyone kicking off that they didn't want to wear their mask or yeah. looking to get around it everyone was just like right we've been told to do this so it's funny, isn't it? And then mm. Jay had a flight in, uh, one of our journalists, Jay, had a flight in America. I forget which airline he was on, but he, he reported that there were people without masks on and yeah. that, you know, wouldn't be persuaded to put them on. So uh, mm. I think it's a lot more political, the other side of the pond, you know, whereas yeah. here it's just a safety issue. I think there's some sort of political connotations with the, the election coming up and everything. But Perhaps. Uh, I do think, you know, airlines need a bit of muscle behind them to be able to say, right, no, if you're not going to wear it, you're just not getting on and that's that. Mm. So, uh, good to see, good to see. So, Tom, another week, another airline trip. <laughs> not that I'm jealous at all. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> been you soon. How was your flight on Lufthansa this week? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I flew to Spain with Lufthansa, um, which was interesting because I've done a lot of Ryanair flying since COVID came about, but this was my first other airline, first full service airline, um, which was quite interesting because the I noticed the airport terminals still, are just, even though flights are ramping up, they're still very empty, you know, like I have no queue for security whatsoever. There were more people there this time, thankfully, but... It was still a case of just go through, go straight through. Um, a lot more of the restaurants are open in terminals now, so I was able to get coffee and a Mars bar. Um, <laughs> other brands of chocolate are available. <laughs> um, before the flight, um, I could have even had a German sausage uh, in a bun if I wanted to, but I abstained because it was still quite early. Um, and then it was quite fun because we saw actually um, a lot of the uh, big heavy United planes doing the cargo flights to Frankfurt parked up um, oh, cool. alongside the terminal. Um, so I got to see the new livery for the first time in person. Um, oh, nice. And then when we got on the flight, this was the interesting bit because um, obviously I think uh, two or three months ago I reported how um, Lufthansa was still silently implementing social distancing. So yes. they were blocking out the middle seat, but they said if the plane is full, um, they They'd would start selling allocate them. them. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting because both ways, the plane was full. There was not a single empty seat on there, um, which I That's had no crazy. issue with. Um, both times we had someone between us who was happy to just sit in the aisle seat. Um, 
which was no problem. Uh, so we I guess got, you'd booked your seats. You'd booked yeah, like a window and an aisle, and then and twenty one C, and then twenty one D, in and twenty one F. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I would have chosen A and B, but there was no physical way to do that on the website at the time we booked. Right. Um, and then when we got on, we were offered a hand towel, um, but um, it was. I, I mean, I didn't use mine in the end because I was not really touching anything and I'd wash my hands before I got on the plane. I thought I'd keep it for if I actually do need to wipe my hand at some point. Um, when we got on the plane, it was it was very much business as usual in terms of how the crew were behaving. You know, the only difference I found was where the fair advertised that we'd be getting refreshments like half a ham and cheese sandwich. Um, <laughs> we only got a bottle of water each Um which again I saved because I wasn't really feeling it right at the time. Um, and the big difference I found though was um, they were supposedly boarding by groups. So group three got on first, which was at the back of the plane, and then group four was slightly further forward, and then group five. Uh, and while group one and two, so the premium and passengers, could have boarded at any time, they were asked to board last. Okay. Um, but then when we came back, it was just a free-for-all because they said we're not boarding by our groups because there's not oh. enough space. Um, so everyone just piled in. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh everyone piled in on the way back. But also getting off the plane um, was the most amazing thing I've ever seen because, you know, usually as soon as the airplane comes to a stop, everyone's up in the aisle. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, they asked everyone to stay sat and everyone did stay sat. And then they were oh. like, okay, we're um, deboarding like rows 1 to 10 and then... 10 to 15, 15 to 20, 20 onwards. Um, okay. And everyone actually followed that. You know, no one got up before they were told, which amazed me because I didn't know that people could be so well behaved on airplanes. <laughs> That's German efficiency for yeah. you. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I say, the thing that really surprised me was um, that both flights were full, 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 full. You know, there were people yeah. trying to get on the flights at the airport and they were saying, sorry, we can't sell tickets because there's no seats left. Crazy. Um, and then when we got into Spain, obviously, we had um, to undergo the Spanish um, health declaration thing. So we had to fill out a form beforehand, which gave us a QR code. Um, and the problem was the Munich flight arrived early. So suddenly there were two flights arriving at the same time, Eek. one just before ours. Um, so And there were two members of staff handling all 300 plus people from these two aircraft. Oh, God. <laughs> um, so there was quite a bit of a wait, but then I just got my QR code scanned and they said go through. Uh, and then I just had to walk through a temperature scanner and got told off because I was too close to the person in front of me. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> but then, so they were social distancing on arrival at the airport as well? No, not really. I think it was oh. I, the, the too close to the person in front was because they couldn't read the two different temperature Ah, I see. Um, things. I mean, as soon as we got off the airplane, there was no social distancing in this queue, but we were all wearing our mask anyway, which is the point of wearing a mask. So it is, um, I mean, like, I've, the plane was full. I had absolutely no issue sitting next to other people. I'd do it again. You know, it's no different to being on the train. You know, we're not, there's, we're not lining up saying we should block every middle seat on the train. Why should we do that on planes? No, no, I do understand. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's all about passenger confidence. Um, it was mm. interesting, though, to hear 
um, from Southwest's management, um, they were basically saying that because of low load factors, they're not losing any money. They're still breaking even by flying with nobody in the middle seat, yeah. um, which I thought was quite interesting. But I guess that comes down to their model because they yeah. are, you know, a no frills airline and mm. they are kind of, you know, working on um, a shoestring budget, I guess, if you like. So, uh, so they're not losing the money. But I should imagine an airline like Delta, which is perceived as being a lot more premium, yeah. is losing out on not having people in those seats. So, yeah, and uh, they're not getting like the additional revenue from baggage and all this. So no, exactly. But then but, they they did say that they thought it was the most important thing they could do right now was to continue social distancing because it I makes them stand to, out from the other airlines. Yeah, you know, it's exactly, making them the airline yeah. of choice. So. I guess that's the thing, you know, they're hoping that the few people that do want to fly are going to fly Delta. Um, but it's interesting that Lufthansa is able to sell every single seat on a, a narrow-body plane. Yeah, um, no one you know, worried. Even given the current situation. Yeah, so. no one was standing up trying to take photos saying, look, I'm on an unsocial distanced aircraft. You know, everyone just got on with it. It is what it is. We want to go yeah. on holiday. If if you don't want to sit next to someone on a plane for two hours, don't fly is my yeah, point of view, my I take guess. on it. Um, but I will just quickly touch on why there might not be so many passengers traveling from Spain, because we did say in the intro that... Oh, we um, did, yes. We did, so <laughs> I should <laughs> briefly touch on that. Um, so just actually the day after I left, um, or the day, I, the day I left, actually, the UK said from midnight tonight, um, anyone coming from Spain is no longer exempt from a two-week quarantine. Yeah. Um, so obviously now all the people in the UK who were thinking of going to Spain are readjusting whether they should or shouldn't do that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I thought it was really unfortunate. There was a bit of a thing going on well, on Twitter where we were following some flights, yeah. and there was a there was an EasyJet flight that was actually running behind schedule. They were due to touch down at twenty three fifty, but their actual landing time was estimated at just after midnight. And then on the flip side, there was a Ryanair flight that should have been landing at about ten past midnight, but yeah. was actually coming in a little bit ahead of schedule and was due to land just before. So it's like, how can you? tell those people on that EasyJet flight they've yeah. got to self-isolate for two weeks but the people on the Ryanair flight are free to go out about their business it's just insane I mean I think the sort of reasonable way to go about this would be to implement the change during that quiet period at like 3 or 4am when there's no passenger flights and then that would have been better <laughs> um, but it just amazes me that the UK government made an announcement so quickly because I remember on a previous um, podcast we were discussing how they brought in the quarantine but it's not going to start for three weeks so yeah. anyone who wants to come into the UK you can just do it now do it now yeah, yeah. exactly but we got like four hours notice of this yeah. uh, this Spain quarantine and it's you know it's I think it's a bit bonkers actually you know whatever's going I mean, on in Spain they are having a spike and they're having a spike in a particular geography yeah. it's not on the islands it's not in many parts of Spain and I mean, to be frank our Covid rate here in the UK is way worse yeah. than anywhere in Spain so if anything they should be making us stay stay away and go in quarantine for two weeks I mean um, Germany has very specifically said we advise against travel to these specific areas where it's high but speaking yeah. from experience when I was in Spain I did not see a single person out in public that wasn't wearing a mask everyone's taking everything so seriously um, which I mean in Germany 
like people are taking things fairly seriously, but there's always a couple of people on the underground that aren't wearing a mask or yeah. and you don't have to wear a mask like just walking down the street, but in Spain no. every, even walking onto the beach you're wearing a mask until you've found your spot. Yeah, well, exactly. I think that's great. And it's obviously a mentality that they've just gotten used to it. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've still got issues here in Britain. We, we brought in mandatory masks in supermarkets last Friday. Yeah. But there's still people walking around supermarkets with no masks. And when I raised it with supermarket employees, they said, well, we're not going to tell them because they might kick off, basically. Yeah. So, you know, it's uh, it's like there's still, we call them COVID idiots. And there's yeah. still an awful lot of them around. So I think you're probably safer on a beach in Spain where everybody's being sensible than you yeah. are perhaps walking around a, a Tesco in, in Great Britain. But uh, hmm. there we go. That's my tuppence worth. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so we were going to talk a little bit about uh, the jumbo jet because we last week talked about um, British Airways 747s being retired. Yep. Um, and we're yet to find out if they're going to really do a bit of a send-off. But so far, it's been a bit of a damp squib compared to what Qantas did. I mean, they pulled out all the stops and it was yeah. bells and whistles all the way to say goodbye to the Queen of the Skies. So um, to start with, they laid on three jumbo joy flights, which was uh, kind of like a joyride, if you like. Um, so just going on a little trip around for, uh, you know, for, for um, to make you happy, I guess, just for, for what's the word? Old time's um, sake. Old time's sake, that's it. Thank you, Tom. Um, so these were taking off from Sydney, Brisbane and Canberra. And, uh, and you know, in line with the uh, 747s that they were retiring, they sold business class fares for $747. And they sold economy fares for $400, you know, because it's the 747-400, get it? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and they just basically flew around in circles for an hour and there were some souvenir bags and things like that. Um, but that wasn't the end of it. That was the first part. That was for passengers to enjoy, you know, Qantas frequent flyers. Yeah. Then there was the hangar goodbye. So um, the last 747 to leave Australia was OEJ. Um, and they invited team members from Qantas, as well as some media people, um, to go and see the aircraft and say goodbye to it. Um, and it was all done with social distancing in place, of course, because Australia is quite concerned about, you know, spreading diseases. Yeah. Um, and uh, our reporter, Nick Cummings, got to go along. I was quite envious because uh, he got to sign the belly of the beast and it looked so cool. It was, uh, he wrote, thanks very much, Nick, at Simple Flying. And uh, that's going to be there forever. You know, that was done in Sharpie. So mm -hmm. it's Until not they get rid off. of it. You know, yeah. Well, yeah, unless they repaint <laughs> it, of course. Yeah, or scrap it. <laughs> And then that still wasn't the end of it because um, when we thought it was all over and we published our article saying goodbye to the 747, um, Qantas's first ever female captain, whose name is Sherelle Quinn, flew the 747 in a very unique formation um, around uh, the ocean next to Australia and drew a Qantas kangaroo, which looked awesome. I think it's one of my favourite pieces of sky art to date. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they had to put in an awful lot of work to get this done. They kept it completely secret. You know, it wasn't until the plane took off and people were like, hang on a minute, that's not going to America. Um, where's it going? And they started filling out this Qantas ruse. So it involved a lot of plotting of waypoints in the shape of the kangaroo. And they had to do lots of trial runs in their 747 simulators to check it worked all right. Well, um, I mean, but I think it was really maybe... cool that it was uh, Sherelle Quinn, who's the first female captain. And she's got to do possibly one of the coolest things in aviation history as a bit of a goodbye to her favourite plane. 
maybe with any luck we'll get to see something uh, cool from the British Airways ones because obviously El Al drew the 747 with the 747 and they did I mean yeah. just yesterday um, I think um, Azul drew their logo in the sky for some reason just randomly yeah. <laughs> it was like why it's very but, nice but why <laughs> Um, but there's always fun seeing those. And I think the Qantas one also, before it did the kangaroo, also flew over um, the Haas Aviation Museum where the other Qantas That's 747, right. yeah. the, the one Waved that flew wings, nonstop from London. Yeah, yeah, it did. It did. It was really cool. And it was a, a really nice thing. And um, one of the one of the Qantas 747s is going on to a very cool afterlife as well. So OJU has actually been in Los Angeles since October, and it's mm. now um, a Rolls Royce engine testbed for future engine technologies. So they're planning well, yeah, some I mean, seventy million dollars into it to create a flying hub that they can, um, you know, actually test out new engine technologies on. So we'll mm. be seeing a bit more of that one in the future, I think. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it's significant end for Qantas, you know, 49 years of flying the type. And at one point, they were an all-747 airline, which must have been mm. really cool. Um, and now there are no 747 airlines. So, uh, sad times. Yeah. Well, very quickly then, I want to just end on British Airways' new neighbours at Terminal 5, because we're running on a bit now. Um <laughs> Boring yeah. people to death, and we haven't even mentioned a cheese sandwich. No, I did, I did. I mentioned the half a cheese sandwich when we didn't get the. It was bo- cheese and ham. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. Um, so, he, Terminal Five has, for the longest time, been very much a British Airways stronghold. You know, um, there was a couple of Iberia flights because they're the same company, but it was very much. British Airways B- is Terminal, terminal 5. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, but as you may well know, um, only two terminals are currently open. And um, it's quite interesting because British Airways was doing maybe it's 30 flights a day or whatnot from Terminal 5. And then everything else was in Terminal 2. Um, All right. And I'm assuming at some point um, Heathrow said, hang on, you've got to make some friends here because it's not working for us. Um, yeah. But it's interesting seeing who's gone over to Terminal 5 because it's um, very much, rather than random, it's all British Airways' neighbours. So, for example, uh, first off came American Airlines a couple of weeks ago. Um, Yesterday, Qatar Airways, also a One World member, hopped over. And tomorrow, uh, Japan Airlines, another ANA member, um, One World member, is Mm -hmm. hopping over. And also, I just read today, actually, that China Southern, who's not in One World, but um, they're... They've got a a joint venture, haven't they? They've got a big joint venture with BA, um, and they're hopping over there. So that's interesting because there will now be two A3, or only one A380, but not a BA A380 at Terminal 5. (laughs) Because China Southern is still operating the A380 to London on a regular basis. Awesome. Um, So it'd be interesting. It's going to make transfers a lot easier as well, well, you know, if you're connecting. I've done the I've done the Terminal Five to Terminal Three transfer before, and it was horrible. Um, (laughs) So that's going to be a lot easier in the meantime. But in the meantime, but I don't think I think it's all temporary at the moment. And I think if things get back to 100% capacity, there's not really the capacity for to have all of them staying at Terminal Five. But it's nice that they're sort of there for. The meantime, all together as a little family. All friends together. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Oh, well, that's good news to finish on. Mm. And uh, so I think that's probably all we've got time for today. But we do hope you enjoyed our podcast. And as always, we welcome your feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. 
For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed our podcast, please do leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.